0: Let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans the 16th chapter and just two verses. Romans 16 verses 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Amen and amen to God's word. As we enter upon this short section of scripture, I want you to be fully aware of its great importance to us. Immediately as we open the Bible, in its first pages, we find a devilish war against truth through Eve and Cain. God gave His words to Adam and Eve. Satan said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, casting question upon the revelation of God, and so men do the same today? Casting doubt and questions upon the revelation of God. From the very beginning, when the earth's population was not this rapidly increasing 7.2 billion, it was but two. The first man and his wife, there was an assault against the revealed will of God. And an attack upon it by the devil. Who then went on to say, Thou shalt not surely die. That is a lie from the devil against our first mother. When we turn from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 4, we have two brothers. After a marriage being corrupted by a weak woman, because women are weaker, the devil went after Eve because he was intelligent enough To know that she was the weaker of the two, Adam wasn't deceived at all by the devil's lie. We find two brothers. And the one brother offers a sacrifice that's more acceptable in his eyes to the right God at the right place at the right time, but it was unacceptable to God. And the man offering it, whose name was Cain, was unacceptable to God as well. But Abel's offering was acceptable, and Abel was accepted by God. And so we had a conflict between two brothers right off the bat in Genesis chapter 4 between siblings. One was attacking truth and one was for the truth. And the one that was attacking truth killed his brother. Where does such violence come from? Where does such murderous intent come from? Because Abel did what was right. Why? Where does that come from? It comes from the devil the father of lies who was a murderer from the beginning. Right. We cannot open our Bibles before we are faced with the war that is going on for the truth. The apostle Paul in the epistle to the Roman saints detailed and carefully argued salvation and numerous other subjects and didn't say a word about false teachers until we got to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. But now we're getting a warning. When we turn to the other end of our Bibles, the closing end, in the last chapter of the Bible, we have God's warnings that those who add to His words will have added to them the plagues that are written in this book. And those who take away from His words will have their names that they think are there taken out of the book of life. When we look at Revelation chapter 20, we see the devil being released from the bottomless pit for a short season to deceive the nations once again. The whole Bible, in between, describes this warfare between truth and error, between God's children and the devil's children, over truth. Are you convinced this morning, and do you understand enough to know that we need to keep what is taught in verses 17 and 18 of this chapter, in order to please God, protect our families, deliver our church, and further the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the world. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, there is continual war between God's sons and truth against the children of this world and their errors. We have and know the truth by God's sovereign choice for us to be the guardians of it on earth. That is a wonderful privilege. This sacred and solemn trust God has given us is important for our church and for his kingdom and for our families. Right. Are you as committed to the truth as Abel was, who gave his life for it? And are you as committed to it as the martyrs that you just heard about from our brother Stephen? I read this in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, and he has read these verses to you as well here. Revelation 12:11 and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death and the dragon was wroth with the woman that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ described as his bride the woman the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have a testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the warfare that we are in at the present time. And so we come to a warning by the Apostle as he closes out this epistle. He says now, after all his pleasant greetings and commendations and salutations of the first 16 verses of this chapter, now he wants to remind them that while there were many that were faithful, Sitting among them in Rome, there would arise others among them. There would arise others outside them. They would be visited and contacted by teachers and disciples of error. And they were to mark them and avoid them. So we want to remember such words to mark and avoid. Mark and avoid. Identify them. Call them by name. We live in a sissified, effeminate, compromising, carnal, generation that doesn't name names like it should when there are so many names of so many false teachers that need to be identified in order to save us from their lies, errors, and heresies. It's interesting how the apostle would point out so many good things about so many good brothers and sisters in the church at Rome and then say that there are wicked men and women that will be coming that you need to mark and avoid because they don't hold to the apostolic doctrine that you have learned. Right. If they differ from this Roman epistle, if they differ from any other epistle that I have written, the apostle would say in Galatians 1, let them be accursed. Right. If they don't follow my tradition in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, then have no company with them. If they don't teach the doctrine of truth after being reprimanded and re- rebuked twice, reject them for they are proven that they're not of God, in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. In your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 20, and let's see the apostle tell the elders at the church of Ephesus of what would take place after he was gone. This is a sorry thing to have to read, but it is true, and it is to our prophet to remember it. The Apostle Paul knew and described enemies of the truth. Here in Acts chapter 20, beginning way back at verse 25, listen to this man's words as he meets with the elders of the church of Ephesus for the last time. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Amen and amen. They would come from the outside. They would come from the inside. They would be grievous wolves. They would speak perverse things. They would try to get men to follow them instead of following the Lord Jesus Christ and his chosen apostles. Back to Romans chapter 16. (coughs) Due to the sin nature of men, the corruption of the world, and the diabolical designs of Satan, all Christians must be vigilant to discern and diligent to separate from anyone that doesn't follow the apostles perfectly. We cannot solve all the world's religious problems, nor... Do we have the time left, even if all of us were to quit our jobs and dedicate ourselves to research to identify all the isms that are out there in the world? But all the ones that contact us and touch our lives, the ones that we have to work among, the ones that we hear, the ones that are on the media that come into our homes, the ones in our schools, the ones in our neighborhoods, those are the ones that we need to identify. And if anyone else comes up among us Speaking perverse things, we need to mark them and avoid them. And we have done that, and I commend this church. We have had ridiculous heresies brought up in this church in the last several years. And I thank God for a church that is willing to mark them and avoid them and shun them. Because they are belly worshipers. They are not the followers and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. All they care about is their vain imagination and their own personal pride. And that's why they depart from the things of scripture, and that's what these two verses teach us. Now, the apostle Paul taught church unity without division. Just a page or two away is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, where it says, just a page away, in similar terminology, Now I beseech you, brethren. That sounds similar? Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now in this verse, just a page away, the Apostle Paul teaches no divisions, and that we all have one mind, one judgment, and so forth. But there in Romans 16, 17 it says, to make some divisions. The difference is Paul's doctrine. What he says in 1 Corinthians 1.10 is that he wanted them to speak the same thing and to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that was his doctrine. Right. Do it my way or it's the highway. That's what the Apostle Paul always taught. If an angel from heaven preaches a gospel different than what I preached unto you, let him be accursed. Galatians chapter 1, and I could take you to passages, but it would waste our time and show you that we are to follow the Apostle Paul as he followed the Lord Jesus Christ, and only in Paul's doctrine should we be united without divisions. When someone varies from that doctrine, we mark them and avoid them, shun them and exclude them from our communion and avoid them and have no company with them. And one of the simplest New Testament sins for which we can exclude them is the sin of variance. Right. Now see, the average church member has never heard anything even close to it because they've never heard Romans 16, 17, and 18 preached, let alone the list of sins for which men are to be excluded from the Lord's Supper and put out of churches. But one of those doctrines is, or one of those sins, is variance. Variance. When you vary from apostolic doctrine, when you vary from the Apostle Paul, you are guilty of a crime against the kingdom of heaven and you are to be put out. We don't care how noble your thoughts are. We don't care how hospitable you might be. We don't care we are going to hold the truth and we are going to fight like Abel and the woman of Revelation 12, 17 that have the commandments of God and keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, when I look over at Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul's talking about unity, the only unity that Paul understands is this way. When Paul writes, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We love those words. Endeavoring, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what his next words are? There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Notice, when he talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, it is based on one way of doing things. One baptism, one God, one Savior, one Lord, one faith, one church, one, one, one. There's only one way to do it. Any other way is false. Any other way is wrong. Any other way is a division and offense against the gospel of Christ. No matter how small that difference is, no matter how small that variance is that comes near us, We have got to cut it off and nip it in the bud because it is those small differences that incrementally over time lead to the great heresies. Where do you think infant baptism came from? And I do not want to chase this rabbit because you are well established in it. How could anyone ever sprinkle a baby and call it baptism? And think that that sprinkling of water on a baby's forehead and the Roman Catholic method of doing a form of a cross with the thumb of a priest on a baby's forehead regenerates that baby and makes it a child of God. Who could ever come up with that? It started by thinking that baptism was more special than the Bible says it is. All baptism is is a symbolic ordinance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ our resurrection to walk in newness of life and our hope of the resurrection of the body in the last day of judgment. The minute that you start thinking that there is grace communicated through baptism, which makes it a sacrament instead of an ordinance, then you start down that road of thinking too highly of baptism. Once you start thinking too highly of baptism, you will eventually get to the place where it saves. When you realize that baptism saves and half of all infants are dying in infancy like was taking place during the Dark Ages under the ignorance and blackness of Rome, then you bring that baptism down to babies. And since you don't find it comfortable to stick babies underwater or in some cases you don't have enough water for an immersion, you come up with sprinkling and it leads from this first idea that baptism is more than the Bible says it is. We care the same way about the Lord's Supper. Right. I get very nervous when people want some emotional experience at the Lord's Supper. Where in the Bible does it tell us that we need to have an emotional experience at the Lord's Supper? We simply do something by faith to call in remembrance to our minds. That Jesus' body was broken for us and His blood was shed for us. When we start going beyond that, pretty soon we will have a sacrament called the Lord's Supper. What we do in this church is very carefully designed by the Apostle Paul from the Lord Jesus Christ, and God help us to continue to hold fast to the word of God. Amen. I don't want the Lord's Supper to be some emotional, boo-hooing event that you think grace is communicated through that event. Grace is not communicated. The communication is through the preaching that you're hearing right now. That's how grace is communicated, and the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us that right. it's a teaching mental process that takes place, not an emotional feeling that you get from the Lord's Supper. Enough of I, what I'm what I'm doing with those illustrations is all those sins. See, the Roman Catholics have gone so far down that road of ignorance because God has given them strong delusion to believe a lie. Right that the cracker, what they call the wafer, the wafer has become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, and there is no cracker left. How in the world did that ever happen? How could anyone ever conceive of the ridiculous, insane idea? Because they started by thinking that there is something special in the Lord's Supper. You say, Pastor, you just said that there is nothing special in the Lord's Supper? Listen, it's unleavened bread that's broken, and it's a little cup of wine that's we drink right. to remember his body and his blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Right. We give a symbolic presentation of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he wants to be remembered. And so we just try to keep it as basic as we can. We don't make fun of it. You all know that. We handle it very carefully. We handle it very soberly. We sing, we remark from Scripture, we comment about the death of our Lord, we prepare for it, we confess our sins, and that's all we're told to do. We don't go beyond that. My dear brethren, I want you to look at Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Not everything that claims to be Christian is Christian. That's right. In when we define the word Christian accurately from the Bible, Second Corinthians chapter eleven. I started out with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Look at how the Apostle starts out when he's on a similar subject to another church. Second Corinthians 11.1 1, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, Which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Him, a person, a teacher, a church member, a church member that would bring along another Jesus. There is more than one Jesus in the world. The apostle Paul said the only Jesus that counts is the Jesus that I presented and preached to you. Do you understand what is said in this passage? If it's not the Jesus Paul preached, it's another Jesus. If it varies from the Jesus Paul preached, it's another Jesus. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not yet to this point received, if another spirit takes hold of you, and you start doing crazy things, like speaking in tongues in public, and all, and the whole church doing it at once, and all babbling together, making a bunch of in, insane noise like a bunch of barbarians, Or, if another gospel comes along with another message, the message of prosperity like Joel Osteen preaches, which ye have not yet accepted, but another gospel comes along. The social gospel. The health and wealth gospel. The speak and it shall be so gospel. I think that you people are so weak at Corinth, you might well bear with such a man. Do you know what the opposite of that is telling us? We don't put up with such junk. We don't put up with such men. We mark them and we avoid them. We say, that is wrong, sir. Now get lost. Get out of this church. We don't want anything to do with you. If you don't want to do it our way, and our way is the Apostle Paul's way, then bye-bye. That's what we have to do as Christians. Because from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there is a war between truth and error. There was a war between God and Satan. Now, when we come down in this chapter, and we want to find out a little bit more about this other Jesus, and this other spirit, and this other gospel, here's where it comes from. Verse 13. For such, the men that would preach and teach the things that verses 1-4 through described, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, they're liars, Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What will their end be? Cast into the lake of fire. What are their works? devilish caricatures of the gospel spirit and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there men in this town that claim to be apostles? They are false apostles. They have taken up the banner of Satan, whether they know it and are doing it by malice, or whether they don't know it and they're doing it in ignorance. It doesn't matter one whit to us how or why they're doing it. They have taken up the banner of Satan The last apostle was Paul. There has not been an apostle since him. When you read about William Branham, or you read about Herbert W. Armstrong, or you read about Kenny Copeland, or you read about Benny Hinn, or anyone else that ever, even in a weak moment, thinks that they're an apostle, you have a false apostle. And when they open their mouths, and the terrible things come out of their mouths, when they make up things against God, when they blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ, When Jesse Duplantis says that he has died and gone to heaven and talked to the Lord of glory like he's his bud, you know that you're listening to the devil. And so we're warned, mark them and avoid them. And so I've just named a few names. And you know, if I started naming names, the day would be over. And we'd have to say amen and go home because there's so many today. Oh Lord, help us. Brethren, do you know how important it is? Do you know what we just read? Not everyone that says they love Jesus loves the Jesus of the Bible. The majority of those that say they love Jesus love a different Jesus. The majority of those that say they have the Spirit have a different spirit than the Spirit of God. Those that say this is the gospel. God wants you free of debt. God wants you living the good life. As Joel's preaching in just an hour or two is another gospel. It's of the devil. And weak churches like Corinth, Corinth who was all caught up in their spiritual gifts. Thanks be to God, at least they had some gifts. The charismatic and Pentecostal churches today don't even have a gift, let alone gifts. But that church, which had the real gifts and had more gifts than any other church in the New Testament, was the church most vulnerable to false doctrine. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians to find out the legion of errors that were in that church in denying some of the most fundamental aspects of our religion because they were all caught up on their ridiculous gifts. And I'm calling them ridiculous because they were using them in ways that God had never intended for them to be used. This is an important matter for us, brethren. Throughout the Bible, I I hope I showed you by going to the beginning chapters and the ending chapters and you know that in between it is prophets rising up to say that is wrong and that king is wrong. It is apostles rising up. That is wrong. These legalist preachers that are coming out of Jerusalem are wrong. It's the council of Jerusalem saying we lay no other thing on you. Throughout the Bible. You know, when it's the devil casting out a great volume of water after the woman, and God carries her by the wings of an eagle into the wilderness, where she is protected for a time and times and half a time. 1,260 years that the Dark Ages raged on this earth in Europe, which is the part of the earth that the Lord is identifying in the book of Revelation. Her doctrines were sweeping the world, but there was a woman that was carried into the wilderness, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the remnant of the seed of God, who defied that onslaught of false doctrine and men that came after them, and we want to be part of them. We want to have them as our heritage, and we want to be faithful to the Word of God. Right. Look at First Timothy chapter four, very quickly with me. First Timothy four, we could preach for for Sundays and, and, and months almost on the warnings about false prophets and false doctrine in both Testaments. First Timothy chapter four, the same apostle, our brother Paul. Now the spirit speaketh expressly. That means this is going to be plain and you won't have to think very hard about it. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, just like he taught in Acts chapter 20, giving heed to seducing spirits. See, there are other spirits than the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. There are other spirits that get a hold of men, that convince them, that say, I know it's the truth. You should hear them. For those of you that have never debated a good Pentecostal or charismatic, they'll say, I know it's the truth because the Spirit's testifying to me inside. We don't deny that there's not a Spirit testifying to them on the inside. We just deny that it's the Spirit of God because it's contrary to the written Word of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I can remember when I was 19 years of age, hearing the truth of the Gospel for one of the first times, and a particular person that was there that was a charismatic was put on the spot by the preacher, and this particular charismatic said, and I quote, I don't care what the Bible says. I have the Spirit. Well, you can be certain of one thing. The Spirit that person had was not the Holy Spirit of God. Right. Not even close. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, is Paul describing a Christian church here? Yes, he is. Right. What church? The Roman Catholic Church. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. See, they move away from the faith once delivered to the saints, giving heed to seducing spirits, spirits that entice them and win them over to false doctrine and doctrines of devils. It's It's a devil that comes up with a doctrine like we're about to read. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. They live hypocritical existences like the priests and popes of Rome, having their conscience seared with a hot iron as they go after the next little boy that comes in for catechism or for the confession. Forbidding to marry. And that's why they go after little boys because they forbid to marry when the Bible says that the qualifications for a bishop is that he is the husband of one wife. Forbidding to marry. The vow of celibacy of Roman Catholic priests, cardinals, bishops, archbishops, and popes, and commanding to abstain from meats, their forced little ridiculous fasts against meat. When you hear a Catholic talk about a fast, they don't have a clue about fasting. Lent is a joke. They give up bubble gum or something. They give up meat and bubble gum. They give up golf and meat. But on Sundays, they can gorge themselves. On Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, they gorge themselves, their gluttons, by design, in order to prepare themselves for their ridiculous fast. Right. They didn't fast like the Lord Jesus Christ. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God, speaking of those meats, God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Meat is good. Meat is better on Friday, and meat is best of all during Lent. Just taste, try it right now. Go out this afternoon, and well, it's a Sunday. Go out yesterday and go out tomorrow and carve yourself up a big piece. It's better. Defy them. Mark them and avoid them. Mock them. Let's hate them and despise them. These are doctrines of devils. Should we think warmly about them? Should we reach out our ecumenical arms and embrace them? Should we say they're just wayward brothers? Or are they following doctrines of devils and they're to be marked, avoided, cursed, rejected, and have no company with them? Amen. That's right. Lord help us. Oh, brethren, there's so much more. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know how this passage just starts. I never want you to forget these 21 verses that start at 3-1 and go to 4-4. Never do I want you to forget them. It is my job to remind you of them. And as long as I am alive, I will stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that this is a prophecy that applies to us. And this is the most important prophecy in the Bible for us. Right? Because this is describing what affects us, touches us, seduces us every day of our lives. The perilous times of the last days. It is not perilous to be in World War III. It is not perilous to have an AIDS epidemic sweeping the world. It is not perilous to have an economic depression that wrecks the dollar. None of those are perilous. We can all survive all of them. If they all happen at the same time, we can survive them and still love our Lord Jesus Christ. We can still sing praises and pray to God at midnight. And let everyone else hear us. Those things are not a threat. They've never been a threat. They make better Christians. They don't make worse Christians. If we were to have all of those perils at once, it would make our church better. It is prosperity that is dangerous for us. It is the liberties we have under our government that are dangerous for us. Not persecution. Persecution separates the chaff from the wheat and the real believers from the false professors. We'd be on our knees more if we didn't have anything to eat. We'd be on our knees more if we couldn't meet in freedom. The real peril is carnal compromising Christianity with a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, being lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having men that creep into houses and lead captive silly women, men that write books, that women go to Christian bookstores and buy and take home and sit there because they use keepers at home to cop out from working like they should, like the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 works. I want to tell you something. The virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 didn't have time to go to the Christian bookstore and buy Christian books and sit at home and read them. There isn't a word, listen, there isn't even a hint of the least... Idea that is even second cousin to such a ridiculous thing as a woman thinking that she has time or the calling or the purpose or the ability to sit at home and read a Christian book. I'm supposed to mark and avoid them, right? So I'm telling you the truth. Where is that found in the Bible? If a woman will learn anything, let her go to the Christian bookstore and buy a book. If a woman will learn anything, what does it say? I believe the Bible. If Paul wrote it, I believe it twice as much. Right. You all know how I mean that, don't you? Because Paul taught us how to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was a Jew, and he preached to Jews. Paul preached to Gentiles, and he was our apostle. If a woman will learn anything, this is the third time I ask, how should she learn? Let her ask her husband at home because the rest of the time she's supposed to be doing what the Proverbs 31 woman is doing, and that doesn't leave any time for reading books, especially religious books. Listen, if she wanted to read a romantic novel, and listen, I'm putting a very careful restriction on that, it would be better than reading a religious book, because at least, at least the romantic novel would make her better for her husband thinking that she is the spiritual leader or that she's going to protect her family or that she's going to teach them the truth or that God raised her up to be the guardian for her family is turning God's order of things upside down and it ruins families. That's right. Lord help us. You know where we came... Where, how did I get off on that rabbit trail? Who let the rabbit out of the cage? The Holy Spirit did. Right. Verse 6. Mm-hmm. For of this sort... What sort? The false teachers of verses 1 through 5. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. What's their number one lust? To com- Who said it? Raise your hand. Amen. Knowledge. They want to compete with the men. And God didn't give them the ability to, nor the responsibility to do so. Led away with divers' lusts. Ever learning. You know, they can go to seminars and read books and listen to tapes. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Silly women that go to all these conferences are never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, so our nation just continues to shift farther and farther and farther away from truth. When you watch the camera pan in on an audience of Benny Hinn, who do you think is there? When you, If you go park your car in a Christian bookstore tomorrow on a Monday, from it, during its entire opening hours, take account, have two columns, men, women, and just mark off who's buying the books. Because this is the error. Men are the leaders of families. Men tell the wives what to believe. It's always been that way. Abraham, God loved Abraham because God knew about Abraham. He will command his household to keep the way of the Lord. If Adam had done that, we wouldn't be sinners today. Adam didn't do that. He let Eve have a conversation with a preacher. Joshua said, as for me and my house... And that included his wife. We shall serve the Lord. And on and on it goes. When Moses knew it was time to go back to Egypt, he didn't care what his wife thought. He took his wife and his two sons and headed back toward Egypt. And throughout the whole Bible. Look at this prophecy that's before us. From the first verse of chapter 3 to the fourth verse of chapter 4, it is one lesson. It is one lesson. Tied-together lesson of what's going to come in the last days, these perilous times of corrupting Christianity. And the apostle describes it in different ways. He gives us the cure. The cure for it is the word of God in the hands of the man of God, verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. And then he charges that man of God with a pretty serious oath in the first verse of chapter 4 to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. This is the apostle calling any doctrine that is different from his a fable. And they're going to turn away, And they're going to heap to themselves teachers so that today, while we pray for real ministers of God that will get up and thunder the King James Version to congregations around the world, there are thousands upon multiplied thousands of teachers who will scratch the itching lusts of the ears of people who no longer will endure sound doctrine but want fables. We're in this time. This is our prophecy. Thus the importance of the passage that we are in. While you're in the Timothys, look back a couple pages to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and let me remind you about the purpose of our church. You know, the Bible does tell us in Revelation chapter 20, and we do believe this particular prophecy is one of the or the last event before the Lord's return, is that Satan shall be loosed from the bottomless pit for a short season to deceive the nations. And as we look around the deception of even those that are so-called Christians that do not follow Pauline doctrine, that means the devil is at work. The waves of the charismatic movement, Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism, Mormonism, and so many isms sweeping the world. Here's our purpose. 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul to Timothy, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And he goes on to describe some wonderful aspects of that truth which I've preached to you before. But notice, how is a minister supposed to behave himself in the house of God? Is it based on market surveys? Is it based on what keeps his biggest contributors happy? Is it based on what keeps all the children happy? Is it based on what's most politically correct? It's what Paul said. You mean Paul? You mean Paul? Yes. I've told you, Timothy, exactly how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, and the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar is something that supports the truth. It's the ground of it. We're the foundation for it. We defend it. We support it. We teach it. We promote it. We hold it together. We are constantly there to stay under it and keep the truth in this world. That's the purpose of the church. We're at war. The father of lies fights us like he did Eve and Judas Iscariot while our Father is seeking true worshipers. What a difference between our Father in heaven and the Father of lies on earth. We're at war. We must increase our duty to truth, because attacks of devils and men will increase. Turn back to Second Timothy chapter 3, where we were just a moment ago, to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're going to wax worse and worse. So what should we do? We've got to tighten up our hatches. We've got to tighten up our lines. We've got to tighten up what we allow our children to do, hear, and associate with. We've got to tighten up what we read and listen to. We've got to tighten up what kind of conversations we allow to take place in our church. It all has to be according to Pauline Doctrine. We don't want even the little slightest compromise to it because that little slight compromise will never stay a little slight compromise. It will widen. The gap will enlarge. Don't get started on any subject. When the Apostle Paul says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Think about Romans. In Romans, he taught the origin of sodomy. Romans chapter 1. The nature of sodomy. Romans chapter 1. Who is a true Jew? Romans chapter 2. The nature of man before he is saved. Romans chapter 3. How and when was Abraham saved? Romans chapter 4. The doctrine of representation in the one Adam. That condemns infants to hell. Romans chapter 5. Baptism by immersion. Romans chapter 6. That perfectionism is a lie of the devil. Romans chapter 7. That God only loves His elect and can never be separated from them. Romans chapter 8. That they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Romans chapter 9. That without preachers, no matter how much of the spirit you have, you aren't going to increase in faith. Romans chapter 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 11. That there are unconverted elect by the ordinance of God that he will save. As an exception. Romans chapter 12 that there are a variety of gifts in the church, but we are all one body, and we should esteem each other more important than ourselves. Romans chapter 13, that we submit to our civil authorities because they are ordained of God, and they are the ministers of God to us for good, including the one we have at the present time. The goodness of President Barack Obama is all around us. The goodness of our Democratic Congress is all around us. The goodness of our Supreme Court is all around us. Get used to it. You're going to hear more of it. Because I'm going to preach Pauline doctrine, and I hate every little variance from it. Amen. We, Our nation is still so much better, and, and blessed so much more greatly than Rome was under Nero. The Lord Jesus Christ hasn't been hung on a cross recently, on these shores of the United States of America. Romans chapter 14, Christian liberty. All the intricacies of Christian liberty. You know, we come to Romans 16 and verse 17, and it says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. So there's that epistle of the Romans, and then we have all the other epistles and everything that Paul wrote to us, Whatsoever Jesus Christ commanded him, we want to hold to every bit of that, and we do not want to depart from it. We want to look at that prophecy of Second Timothy chapter three and realize that we are in the middle of that prophecy being fulfilled right around us. A carnal, compromising, effeminate. By that by that word I mean it preys on women, and it's got men that are like women in the pulpits, and it's got women in the pulpits. It's effeminate, it's carnal, it's compromising, it's worldly. It's a degradation of true Bible Christianity. It's against sound doctrine. It's for fables. It's full of folly. But do you know what God has promised in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3? Their folly shall be made manifest, as was the folly of Janus and Jambres made manifest. The two named magicians of Pharaoh. All you have to do is go to a Google search box and type in Kenneth Copeland Barking. And you know, the Lord's fulfilled Second Timothy 3, 8 and 9. Their folly shall be made manifest to all men. See, Janice and Jambres, the magicians of Pharaoh, were far more noble, far more noble than Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen and the other Charismatics and Pentecostals like them. Because those two men didn't get down and crawl around like dogs, barking. Nor did they fall on each other, laughing hysterically, and call it being slain in the Spirit. Right. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it is your fault, and it is to your shame, that you don't have a little bit of an idea of what is sweeping this world. So that when you hear some of these names and you want to hear somebody talk about they have the gifts of the Spirit, as soon as you start down the road thinking that there are apostolic gifts of the Spirit in the church today, you will end up crawling and barking like a dog, because you have departed from the Bible already as soon as you say apostolic gifts are still in the church today. As soon as you say that, you have veered off the course, you have veered off the crown of the road, and you are headed toward a ditch, and there's no verse in the Bible that's going to keep you from the ditch, Because you've already ignored the verses in the Bible that told you that those spiritual gifts were for the apostles and their immediate hearers only. right? Which you will hear more about in coming days. Never before in the history of the world have so many religious liars been able to get right next to you by the internet. Never before. You know, when you lived out on your 40 acres or your 160 acres, and the man next to you had 160 acres, and the man behind you had 160 acres, and the man in front of you across the road had 160 acres, how much false doctrine did you hear? Now it's right there. A click of a mouse away, any false teacher in the world, with high definition, audio-video combination is right in your home. You say, well, I wouldn't watch Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen other than for spiritual entertainment, okay? Then do you listen to contemporary Christian music? Why do you like contemporary Christian music? Why can't you make a judgment that the people that write it, the people that produce it, the people that consume it, are all carnal Christians fulfilling this prophecy of 2 Timothy 3? Right. Why is that so hard for you to figure out? That a steady diet of contemporary Christian music is going to destroy you. I'm not I'm never going to preach about music. Because the Bible doesn't preach about music. It says music should glorify God, and music should be according to the word of grace that is in our hearts, and our hearts should be full of wisdom from God's word. How can you listen to contemporary Christian music with its ridiculous, infantile, little lyrics sung over and over again, sung by people, produced by people, designed by people, and consumed by people who stand against what we believe? How does it help you? Could you could you write me an email, someone? Could you write me an email and tell me how carnal Christian music draws you closer to Pauline Doctrine? That's what i got to hear. Pauline Doctrine. If you say, it draws me closer to Jesus, I will show you by the writings and the testimonies of the those that design the music, write the music, produce the music, perform the music, and buy the music, that it's another Jesus in all cases. Right. So, if you were comforting yourself that you thought I was talking about Roman Catholics, Mormons and Hindus, I want to talk about anything that creeps into your houses because of technological advances where they get to sell their goods to you and your children. Right. Why don't you like Twas With an Everlasting Love? Why isn't that your favorite song? Sung a cappella? Why isn't that your favorite song? And you say to me, I have a different taste in music. I agree. Where'd you get your different taste in music from is my next question. Say, God made me that way. I will deny it. Show me where it says that in God's Word that God gave you a different taste in music. You are leaving Pauline doctrine and Pauline practice listening to that contemporary, carnal, effeminate, have you ever watched The Performers? You have to ask, is that guy at the piano a man or a woman? And I'm talking about contemporary Christian music. Is that a man or a woman? You say, well, it doesn't matter if a person has long hair or not. Did Paul have an opinion on long hair or not? Yes. A severe opinion. Yes. Did he say we have no such custom, neither the churches of God, Amen. in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I love all of you, but I'll tell you I love the truth of God more and I love God and I'm so thankful to God. And we are bound to give thanks always to God for the truth that He has shown us. If it weren't for the grace of God, do you know what a small minority we're in? Do you know what a small minority it is that people that hold to a King James Bible and hold the Pauline Doctrine? It is a very, very small minority. Why have we been shown it? Why do we care? Why are we convicted? Why do we love it? Why are we motivated, highly motivated? I am to defend it and to hold us to it. I love music. But music's got to be guarded. Friends have to be guarded. Entertainment has to be guarded. Where are those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned from Paul creeping into our lives? We want to cut them off at the past. We want to nip it in the bud. We want to chop it down while it's a small tree. We don't want the roots to grow in and clutch the hearts of our children or ourselves or our minds. Never in the history of the world have so many religious liars been able to package their false doctrine and their heresies and their seducing spirits with such musical accompaniment, high-definition video and bring it right into your children's bedrooms. Anytime you turn on the radio or television or pick up a magazine or surf the internet, beware. Because there's where the false teachers are. Their philosophy, their lifestyles. Lord, have mercy upon us. I didn't accomplish nearly what I wanted to, but I don't... I accomplished all that I needed to. The time says it's time for our break. I thank you for your kind attention. I trust that God, by His Holy Spirit, will convict every one of you to be as convicted as I am, not by my spirit, but by His spirit, through Romans 16:17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches and attractive music deceive the hearts of the simple. And your simple are your wives, and your simple are your children. Are there men that are going to protect their families? I'll be right with you 100%. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.